Some of you know that I have an office in my house that is, for the most part, dedicated to sermon preparation. If you walk in there, there's lots of books, there's a few family photos on my desk, and there's a few other things hanging on the wall. One thing is a large print. It's a very special picture to me. It is a, a, a breathtaking aerial shot of the place where the Lord met me and saved me 32 years ago yesterday, and it was on one of the most beautiful and famous beaches in the world. That's how I was able to locate the print called Trunk Bay Beach on the island of St. John. There's also a very small print that's right over my desk. So whenever I look out my window to the right, I see what's going on out in the the cul-de-sac. When I look up to the left, I see this little picture there, and it says this. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And that is the beginning of Psalm 121, which is our psalm for this evening. And so the title of our message tonight is A Safe Journey. A Safe Journey. If you don't know much about the Psalms, there's 150 Psalms in the Bible. They're written by various authors over a long period of time. They're predominantly prayers and songs. Literally, they are praises. Uh, To be honest with you, when it comes to praising and and singing uh, like that, my mother was actually a trained opera singer. My father was an incredible singer and dancer. I always like to say he was like one rung below Fred Astaire. If you don't know who Fred Astaire was, he was way before my time, but YouTube him because nobody could dance like that guy. Sort of, if you know who Gumby is, he was sort of the Gumby of of stage dancers. Uh, But singing and rhythm, that gift, somehow that skipped a generation. So I don't sing the Psalms. My wife always tells me whenever she hears me sing, she's so wonderful, I love you, babe. She says to me, You have other gifts, honey. Singing is not one of them. Uh, For about the first 15 years that I was a follower of Jesus, I used to just read the Psalms. But now I don't really read the Psalms anymore. Now I pray the Psalms, and I've been promising the congregation here for a long time. I taught it one time at a retreat that I'm going to actually do a night on praying the Psalms or just praying the Bible in general. About 60 psalms or so are people crying out to God. Sometimes it's individuals, sometimes it's groups of people in distress. Even angry cries out to God. And amazing, a lot of us, I was told growing up that you're never allowed to get mad at God. Nobody ever told the Bible writers that. They seem to get mad quite a bit. And so it seems like God's a big boy. He can handle that. It's not, not, he's not flipping out like, oh my gosh, where are the angels? Somebody's, somebody's mad at me. Uh, Some of the psalms are hymns, maybe about 25 or so of them, songs of praise. They would would sing them in the temple and praising the great works and the wonder of God. Uh, Some of the psalms are psalms of or words of great thanksgiving, gratitude to God for his blessings, for his deliverance, some written by individuals, some by, uh, for the community. There's about 10, what we might call, Royal or kingly psalms, there are psalms of Zion, of of Jerusalem, psalms of salvation, of wisdom, and then there's the big one, Psalm 119, 
the largest chapter in the Bible about the word of God. There is another group, and that's where we're going to turn our attention to tonight. That would be uh, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, called the Psalms of Ascent. Literally, it means a, a song of going up. And you say, what, is the, what does that mean? They're the songs that the Israelites sang as they made their way up to Jerusalem. Moses had told them they needed to come to Jerusalem three times a year to celebrate feasts and festivals. So these were the songs that they would sing. Now, that sounds nice. You're thinking, oh, great, we're going on vacation. We're going up to Jerusalem. It's going to be a lot of fun. But that journey was not easy. You had to deal with the scorching sun during the day, the bitterly cold nights, and the cliffs, and the wild animals. And also, if that wasn't enough, that journey was not safe. There were lots of robbers and bandits on the road ready to steal your vacation money. You know how you pack money away to go on vacation. Everybody puts it on plastic now or on their cell phone or something like that. When I was a kid, we were going to Disney World and we were obviously New Yorkers down in Florida and we got pulled over. And so the policeman said to my father, you were speeding. And my father said, well, I was just going in the flow of traffic. I'm from New York. That's the way we drive. And he goes, well, we don't drive that way down here, boy. And so he said, how much money you have on you? And so my father opened up his wallet and the policeman took it all. So we had no vacation money to go to Disney World that day. But thankfully, my father did not get arrested. So the, but there was plenty of dangerous bandits on the road to Jerusalem and from Jerusalem to steal your money. So it wasn't only dangerous on the way there, it was dangerous on the way home, leaving Jerusalem, the city of God, leaving the temple, the house of the Lord, going back to the real world. And there was a number of people who, worked, who lived in the city but worked outside the city. So we think our commuting is bad here in New Jersey. The commuting was very, very difficult for some of them. In fact, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus tells us that the robbers were even close to Jerusalem. He says this, Luke ten thirty. it says, Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's about 15 miles. So that is, a, for them, we don't normally walk that far. But for them, that was, that was within walking distance. And what happened to that man? He fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. So in this sense, we might think of the Psalms of Ascent also being, while that might sound like nice and holiday, etc., we might also think of them being as Psalms of Trust. Again, they're Psalms 120 to 134, trusting the good shepherd to protect his sheep, trusting God to protect his people as they go to and from worshiping him. Now, this tells us by the fact that we read some of this wording, it tells us that historically, God's people have often been anxious about the dangers of this life. And there is a lot of anxiety and angst in the Psalms. And the same is true today. And that's why we're here today, because there's a lot of angst in our world and the Psalms show us that we're not the first people to experience this, nor will we be the last. And the Psalms are a great place to go to really experience the peace of God, understanding some of the things about God during, that, during the time that the Psalmist would write. Now, this is very, very important. Everybody pay attention right now. This is super important. I absolutely hate 
that I have to say this. But if I don't say it, I'm going to go home and I'm not going to sleep well tonight. That's not true. I always sleep like a baby. But anyway, I have to say this. Trusting God does not mean we are foolish. Did you hear that? Maybe you want to tell the person next to you. Trusting God does not mean we are foolish. Trusting God does not tell the person, does not mean we are dangerous. Trusting God does not mean we presume upon God's protection. Some people say, well, I'm just going to drive, you know, 150 down the highway and not wear a seatbelt and not worry about anything. Maybe I'll have a few beers. I'm just going to trust God. That's foolish. That's not what we do. We keep a well-maintained vehicle. We drive within the speed limit. Well, most of you don't do that at all, but you drive close to the speed limit. Put your seatbelt on. Keep good spacing of cars in front of you, and you will generally arrive home safely. Psalm 121 is filled with God's wonderful promises to his people of safekeeping while on a dangerous journey. We'll see this here in the fact that the psalmist uses words that describe God as our protector and our guardian. He uses words like help. He's going to help you. Keep, he's going to keep you. He's going to keep you close to him. Shade, he's not going to let you get burnt. He's not going to let you get sunburned. And and the term right hand, which is very interesting, we'll talk a little bit later about that. And it appears to be here somewhat of a dialogue between a anxious spiritual pilgrim and perhaps his or her spiritual mentor with an application for all of us. So you say, what is the application? The application is simply this. As we journey through life, those who have put their trust in the Lord will be kept by the Lord and we will sense our being kept by the Lord as we continue to trust in him. We initially trust in him for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, but we continually trust in him as we walk through daily living. So let's jump in. Psalm 121, verse 1, the psalmist writes, I will lift up my eyes to the hills, some versions say mountains, from whence, from where, comes my help. So just picture yourself that you're an Israelite and you're getting ready to go to Jerusalem. Or you've been there, and you're getting ready to go home. And you're looking off in the distance at the beautiful mountains, at the beautiful hills. Or maybe if you're one of the people that's watching and you live where we live in this area, I know people think, oh, you're from New Jersey. They just think of, you know, New Jersey Turnpike or something like that. We actually are in Northwest New Jersey and it is an area full of beautiful hills and trees. And so you look out at the beautiful hills and trees. Maybe you're driving down the road. My drive to church every day, I I see these beautiful rolling hills everywhere covered with beautiful trees. But as you're looking, as you're admiring the beauty Suddenly, out of the blue, 
your heart is filled with anxiety. You may not even know where it's coming from. Or maybe you've thought of something that has made you feel anxious. And suddenly, before you know it, instead of looking at the beauty of everything all around you, all of the problems of your life, all of the difficulties of your life, all of the dangers that are ahead, the unknown future that we all live in begin to overwhelm you. And you just don't know what to do. And you begin to think to yourself, like the psalmist, where will my help come from? Who will help me? I feel so helpless. Who's going to help me now? Who can get me out of this dark, dark place? Now, if you know much about the Bible, it's okay if you don't. It's entirely possible this psalm was written when the, when the people of God were returning from their exile in Babylon after they had been taken there captive. Some people think it was written during the time of Nehemiah, that he was, he, was coming in, he was coming to the city and he was going to build walls around the city of protection. But it's entirely possible. Listen to the verse again. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. It's entirely possible that you have written verse one yourself. You didn't even know it was in the Bible. But you've been asking this stuff over and over. You've been asking this over and over and over again. Who is going to help you? Because the reality is the, the need for help, the need for outside assistance, if you will, from God, this is life in a sinful and at times dangerous and at sometimes very dangerous world. The psalmist is desperate for help. The psalmist is begging for protection. And you have to think of it. They're going to go into the hills. Will the hills provide refuge for them from, from, the, from the bandits, from the animals, from the elements? Or will they actually be the place of great danger? Well, in verse 2, the psalmist answers their own question saying, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, I know the way we talk sometimes, it's kind of nauseating at times if you ask me. We, we say things like, oh, the Lord knows. Oh, the Lord will help me. That, that is not what is going on here. You see, this is very important to understand about uh, probably everybody except for Moses. <laughs> the, the, the Bible writers were also Bible readers. And you see in your Bible that capital L-O-R-D, that is Yahweh. That is the covenant God of Israel. That is the Lord. That is the Lord who led their great father, Abraham. That is the same Lord who protected Abraham's relative, Jacob. It is the I am, the one who spoke with Moses on the mountain and led Moses and the people of God out of slavery in Egypt and across the wilderness. And as they went across the wilderness, they were protected. They were provided for. And so here the psalmist in verse 1, as anxiety floods his heart, all those years of Bible study begin to pay off. That's one of the reasons why we study the Bible so carefully here. 
because you don't know when you're going to need it. Sometimes people leave a sermon and go, I didn't get anything out of it. It wasn't for me. I always go, well, maybe not today, but you may need it someday. And so in here, they are all those years of Bible reading is actually paying off. Why? Because verse 1 is fear, verse 2 is faith. And so Bible reading and Bible study has faith replacing fear. He says, the Lord who made heaven and earth will help him. The Lord will lead him, he knows. The Lord will protect him. The Lord will provide for the people of God. Now, some people want to immediately go, oh, no, 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 no. When he says he made heaven and earth, he's a creationist. He believes that God made heaven and earth, and and we should all believe in creation because of that. Um, I don't think that's the point. Sorry. I'll give you one of the staff members' email if you want to talk, talk to them and debate about that. You say, we say, why don't you think that's the point, Pastor Jim? Well, Psalm 14, 1, the psalmist writes, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You see, I know this is, a lot of times people read the Bible, especially Genesis 1 and 2, and they go, ah, you know, there's not a, not a, lot, of, a lot of good science in there. Well, first off, the Bible, I wouldn't say, is about the science of it per se, although obviously God spoke and he created the world. But there's an assumption that the Bible writers make. The Bible writers actually assume that you and I would never be so arrogant to think that the world got here any other way. In fact, the Bible writers are actually, you say, well, that's kind of arrogant of them. No, they're actually giving you credit by saying you're not a fool. Because you don't say there is no God. Now, you look at verse 1 and you say, well, there looks to be some foolishness there. He doesn't seem to be trusting God. And there there seems to be some unbelief there. But what happens in verse 2? Again, all those years of Bible study by the Bible writer, And God delivers the grace of faith. The scripture tells us to hide his word in our heart. Again, you never know when you're going to need it, but how often we find it's right there when we need it. Rather than creationism, I think the idea here is the psalmist is talking about the sovereignty of God. That, that God is, sovereignty means God is in control. Now, it's always very important to remember that God is in control of a world where much that happens, he hates. He told us not to lie. Any of you ever tell a lie? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that goes on that God does not like at all. And so he's talking about the sovereignty of the personal God of the universe. So what's he doing for us by when he says, you know, he talks about who made heaven and earth. Maybe he wants us to look up just from the mountains and to look up into the cosmos and say to ourselves, my goodness, I'm, I'm looking in the hills for help, but now I look into the stars, into the sky, and I realize that God is much bigger than my problems. That God is the one who made the heavens 
and my problems to him, not to me, but to him, are really just hills. If God could create all that we see and all that we don't see, if he is sovereign or somehow in control over all, certainly he can see you and me and everyone we know through the journey of this life, despite its many dangers. If a personal God could speak and the universe could just leap into existence, then certainly he can bring us home safely. That would be an easy thing for him to do. Verse three says, he, who's he? The Lord, Yahweh, the great I am. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He, another version says, your protector who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber, the idea is rest, nor sleep. This is a very, very dear verse to me. Very dear. When I, I don't even want to say when I came to the Lord. I like to think of when the Lord came to me and saved my soul. Despite 12 years of religious school, I did not know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. To be honest with you, I don't even think I knew there was an Old Testament and a New Testament. But then once I became a follower of Jesus, I started to read the scriptures for myself. I had a pocket New Testament and the first week or two, I read it cover to cover three times because I was wondering what in the world happened to me. And then I started listening to Christian radio. And there was this very grandfatherly fellow on by the name of Pastor Chuck Smith. He's actually the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, of which I am an ordained Calvary Chapel pastor. And I remember one time actually specifically driving in my truck, listening to Pastor Chuck, and Pastor Chuck was teaching this very psalm on the radio. Now, if you know anything about Pastor Chuck, you talk like this. He was usually a very, very mellow guy. But I remember when he came to these verses, he raised his voice. And I was driving my truck and I was like, Pastor Chuck, you never talk like this. He raised his voice and he used the old King James version and he said, our God neither slumbers nor sleeps. You know, I had been dramatically converted. And I honestly didn't know which end was up. I was trying to figure out what happened to me. But I remember in that very moment, life was okay. It was okay. 
I actually think I was more aware of it then than I am now that God is guarding me. In fact, God is guarding me so much that he doesn't sleep and he doesn't even take a nap. So every night when I lay my head down on my pillow, it only takes me about a second or two to fall asleep. I just say, God, it's your world till I wake up tomorrow. Sorry for my failures. Thank you that tomorrow's another day and your mercies are new every morning. Thank you for watching out for me and for my family. It's so comforting to know. I don't mean like you know it in your head like you, but you know it in your heart. It's so comforting to know that God never sleeps. It's so comforting to know that, that God is on the job. I mean, just think of it. It's just so amazing. I've said this to some of you before that I've been on hospital visits where I'm with someone who just had a brand new baby and they are so excited. And then I go down a floor and I'm with someone where they're absolutely they're dying and their family is distraught. And I'm telling you, man, I'm just a wreck. But God has the ability at the same time to rejoice with those people over that new little life and at the same time weep with those because of what sin has brought into this world and that is death and Jesus defeated it at the cross. The language here may be of a, of a spiritual mentor speaking into the life of an anxious but now trusting pilgrim. The, the mentor's use of the word keep or the word use, uh, preserve, sorry, keep or preserve is very, very important. And it's mentioned here twice and there's four more to follow. It's the same word that a lot of you actually have uh, on your coffee mugs. It's from the famous blessing of Aaron from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Bless you. Keep you. You know, and before you go around beating yourself up, that you don't have enough faith. In Psalm 44, the psalmist accuses God of being asleep while the people of God are being attacked. You see, loved ones, we all feel that way sometimes. We all feel like God fell asleep or he's not on the job or he, He's not watching out for us. Even the Bible writers felt that way. Even Jesus on the cross yells out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But here we're told for us, if we are followers of Jesus, if we put our trust in Jesus, I'm not talking about being religious, that it's not true at all, that God is always watching The wording here really in verse three is 
is of a shepherd guiding his flock through the dangerous cliffs in the mountains. We're told in verse three, he will not allow your foot to be moved. Some versions said, will not allow your foot to slip. What is he saying? The Lord is not going to allow you to fall off the cliff. If you've trusted in Jesus, the Lord is not gonna allow you to fall into hell. That is not going to happen to you. We've said many times, picture yourself on a boat. You may fall on, on, you know, on deck, but you're not gonna fall overboard. Again, we see the personal God is the personal guardian and protector of his people who trust in him. And though we may not understand why bad things happen, we have got good company amongst the Bible writers. We do know that our king has it under control. He is well aware and he's not asleep on the job. Verse five says, the Lord is your keeper. I love that. The Lord is your personal keeper. That's like having a personal bodyguard. He is your keeper. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The Holman Christian Standard Bible puts that verse, translates that verse this way. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. Verse six, the sun shall not strike. Some versions say the sun shall not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. You see, the Lord wants us to know that he is keeping watch over us that no matter where you go, he won't lose sight of you as you walk through life. Now, if you're walking to places where you don't belong, that's bad news. But if you're walking along trusting the Lord, that's very, very good news. And that watching, God watching you is actually part of his help. And notice it's over Israel, the people of God, and it's over you. For those of you that are new to the faith or don't know much about the faith, that's totally fine, man. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're listening. The word of God often talks about, the scriptures often talk about the people of God collectively or corporately, while the American church stresses the individual. But as you read the Bible, you realize and you read the Psalms that both are true, that both God's people corporately and individually are protected, are guided and blessed by the Lord. And notice he says, at your right hand. What you're like, the Lord is shade at your right hand. What's so special about the right hand? Think about it for a moment. You're a soldier, you're going out to a battle, and you have your shield, if most people are right-handed, you have your shield in your left hand, and you have your sword in your right hand. So you turn, and you turn, and you turn. Now, what is my right side right now? It's vulnerable. I'm protected over here because I have my shield, but my right side is vulnerable. 
And the Lord promises protection where we are vulnerable. Is that a wonderful thing? So many different things we think, oh, this is out of my control. There's nothing I can do. God says, I know, you're vulnerable. That's why I'm at your right hand. Some of the stuff you think you got, I know you think you got it. You don't, but I'll let you have it over here. But, but you're vulnerable. Please understand, I am going to be there with you. King David wrote these words in Psalm 16:8. He has said, I have set the Lord always before me. I'm always keeping my eye on God. Why? Because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. There's also the idea of of being in the shade here. I love the idea of, of shade. God says, I am your spiritual sunscreen. I am going to take care of you. In fact, your personal bodyguard says, hey, I'll carry an umbrella and I'll make sure that you don't get scorched by the sun. I make sure that you are being protected from the heat. And they say, okay, that, that, that's fine. The sun shall not strike you or harm you by day, nor the moon by night. What about the moon? Well, remember we said that the, the moon was, well, the nights there were very, very cold. And so he's saying, I'm going to protect you in the cold. But there's something else that's a little bit different in our world than it was in the ancient world. The other nations had false gods. And they had the sun god and they had the moon god. And the moon god was said to be the god that made people crazy. You know, moon, luna, luna, tick. And so God's saying, I'll keep you from the cold. I'll keep you from going crazy. I'll keep you from the heat of the sun. What's the idea? I will provide for you 24-7 day and night protection. And you know, these false gods, they had them. We have them in the United States. They just tend to be what we call idols of the heart, things that we love more than God. And so the Lord might be saying to us, listen, if you stay close to me, I will protect you from these false gods. They are very, very dangerous. They will take you from God like that. That's one of the reasons why we are now broadcasting because we want to make sure that you're keeping yourself in the love of God because it's easy to go after all of these other things. It's easy to be so filled with anxiety and fear. Verse seven and eight, I want to read twice. The the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's go a little more slowly. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. Some of your versions say he shall keep you from all evil. As you stay close to him, as you trust in him, as you're allowing him to protect you in the ways that he has already said, he says that I'm gonna keep you from all evil. Some versions say keep you from all harm. He shall preserve, some verses say, keep your soul. Isn't that a wonderful thing? 
to know that God will keep your soul. Another version says he will protect your life. And a lot of times when the Bible talks about life, it talks, it means eternal life. Verse eight, the Lord shall preserve or keep your going out and your coming in. What does that mean? He's on the job everywhere you go. You go out, you come in, no matter where you are, he's watching you. From this time forth, from now, all the time, and even forevermore. So in verse seven, the Lord assures us this protection is not just for today, but for your whole life here on planet earth. But he goes even further. The psalmist closes this psalm with the totality of God's protection for his people from this time forth and even, he says, forevermore. So God has promised to protect you from this moment on as you trust in him forever and ever and ever. Now, sometimes we think God misses a thing here or there. We all think that way. But did you know how incredibly detailed the scripture says God is in knowing the details of the lives of his children? Psalm 56, 8, King David wrote, you number my wanderings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? All the sorrowful tears that you have, cry, you have cried in this life, God says, I've kept every one of them. I have them in a bottle. I wrote them in your book. You know, those of us who have kids, we have baby books, and we, we wrote some stuff. Today, they, they took their first step. Today, they said, Mama, for the first time. Today, they said, Dada, for the first time. God says, I keep your tears in a bottle, and I got a book, too. And I remember when you cried over this, and I remember when you cried over that. I was with you. You might not have known I was with you, but I was with you every step of the way. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus encouraged us in God's care, was encouraging us in God's care, and he says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Isn't that amazing? That God knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. You say, oh man, I shaved my head. He didn't know. No, he knows. He knows how many little hairs are there. He knows how many hairs you lost when you took a shower this morning. He knows everything about you. This does not mean, loved ones, that we won't have any problems in our lives. It does mean we are protected by the power and the care of God. Let me read something to you that is very, very well known to people who don't even know much about Jesus. King David wrote it this way. was actually what I was singing to my dad when he died, when I was right there. Psalm 23, 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, some versions say the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. How could you fear no evil? For you are with me. 
your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, just imagine you're a sheep. You see the shepherd coming with a rod and a staff. You're not too happy about that, are you? No, because that's what he uses to you know, put you in line or to, to you know, get you where you need to go. But even David says, even when trouble befalls me, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, even in difficulty. I sense your presence. In Psalm 73, 24, Asaph wrote this, you will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. What a great promise. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. God wants to guide you in this life. He wants to guide me, guide me in this life and then receive us to glory. Now you might say to yourself, well, okay, I, I, I get it. How committed is God to my safe journey? See, our problem is we look at the safe journey as just what the life we have here on earth. We're not, we're not looking into the eternal things that God himself sees. How in the world can we be so sure that God is invested in you and me making it home safely? Well, a lot of places we could think about that. But I just want to think of two. One is you've seen this verse a lot if you're new to the Bible or not or just the reference to it. When a guy kicks a field goal in a football game, you see somebody holds up a sign that says John 3.16. And that says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That God loved you so much that he gave to you his one and only precious son. That if you would believe, it says whoever believes, that would be anybody, whoever is whoever. That'd be anybody who believes. Believe is more common to our word, trust in him, should not perish, that means go to hell, but have eternal life would go to heaven. Another place I think we could think of, and that's God the Father's part, is Jesus himself. For your homework, read John chapter 10. And Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And Jesus says this, talking about the cross, the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. This would be asked people, what does the cross mean? They say, oh, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. What does that really mean? He died on the cross for your sins. And then he rose from the dead so you could have eternal life by simply believing in him, putting your trust in him, and so you could be safe from death. That safety does not mean that everything here will be easy. It does not mean that it will always be a sunny day. There's going to be a lot of dark days. 
But as we're going to talk about on the next two Sundays, and, we, and David just said it, you are never going to be alone. Our part is simply to trust in him. And for those who do that, the risen Christ guarantees you a journey all the way home to meet him in heaven that will be safe. Well, let's pray.